Well, this morning we begin a new sermon series, What the Bible is All About. We all need help knowing how all of those pieces of Scripture fit together, our place in it. And uh, in just a moment, I'm going to read a passage of Scripture from Genesis chapter 1. And if you're using your your pew Bible, I love saying this, it's on page 1. And we'll we'll read the first five verses of Genesis. the Bible, and then move to verse 26. But before we do that, uh, I would like to invite us to a time of prayer together and to bow and to be silent and to be aware of, uh, of God in us and around us and just to have some, some peace and some quiet to maybe voice our own prayer or to get ready for whatever God has next for us. Our loving God, we are before you as your people. You know us better than we know ourselves. We know that one of our great sins is the delusion that we can hide from ourselves and hide from you. So we come confessing our sins and our humanity, our failures, our brokenness. We come opening our hearts and praying for a fresh cleansing that you might renew a right spirit within us and refill us with your Holy Spirit. We pray, dear God, that you would make us sensitive to the gentle nudges of your precious Holy Spirit to be the witnesses, to be the servants, to be the people you've called us to be. And Lord, in times of suffering and trial, let your people know that you are always the personal God who is with us, always working in ways that we can't even see. Especially bless those who are struggling with illness and grief and private kinds of pain that maybe they can't even talk about to others this morning. We pray, dear God, for your world that needs you so desperately, for our military personnel that they might be safe, that you might bless their families, that you might bring peace to the world in the end of conflict in all of the regions around the world that are so dangerous. We pray today for our missionaries and all of our mission partners, and today particularly praying for our Kenya partners and our Ukraine partners, that you might bless them. And God, we pray for our own nation. We pray that in the midst of tension that there might be peace, and not just the absence of conflict, but genuine reconciliation. Bless those who govern and lead, especially in Ferguson and the St. Louis area, that that the tensions might be reduced and that there might truly be a way forward and that you might bless those who've experienced loss and those who've experienced trauma. And God, above all, teach us to be people of reconciliation, to know that right here in our own backyard, in our own community, you've called us to heal Jefferson City and to be the healing presence of Jesus Christ in our community. Make that happen, God. And we pray that in your way and in your time, 
you might interrupt the injustice and the cycles of death and sin that are everywhere, that the risen Christ might work His powerful work to make all things new. Guide us as we open the sacred scripture. May we come with humility and curiosity. May we come with an openness to what you have for us. May we be changed people because we hear your story once again and because we find our place in your grand story. This is our prayer through Christ. Amen. Genesis chapter 1, beginning in verse 1, and I invite you to stand uh, with me and come to attention as God's word comes among us. I'll read it aloud. You follow along silently and prayerfully. In the beginning, when God created the heavens and the earth, the earth was a formless void and darkness covered the face of the deep, while a wind from God swept over the face of the waters. Then God said, let there be light. And there was light. And God saw that the light was good. And God separated the light from the darkness. God called the light day and the darkness he called night. And there was evening and there was morning the first day. And God continues to create and then we move to verse 26. Then God said, let us make humankind in our image according to our likeness and let them have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the air and over the cattle and over over the, all the wild animals of the earth and over every creeping thing that creeps upon the earth. So God created humankind in His image. In the image of God, He created them. Male and female, He created them. God blessed them. God said to them, Be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth and subdue it and have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the air and over every living thing that moves upon the earth. God said, See, I have given you every plant yielding seed that is upon the face of all the earth and every tree with seed in its fruit. You shall have them for food. And to every beast of the earth and to every bird of the air and to everything that creeps on the earth, everything that has the breath of life, I have given every green plant for food. And it was so. God saw everything that he had made and indeed It was very good. And there was evening and there was morning, the sixth day. May God bless this majestic and powerful word to our hearts. You may be seated. Well, one thing for sure, uh, a challenge when we try to get a grip on the entire Bible is finding a way to get our minds around 66 books. We sometimes forget that the Bible is not really one book. It is a library in one binding. It's 66 books uh, written and compiled over generations and centuries and many different cultures. And so to get our minds around that is, is a little bit challenging. And part of the problem is that whenever we hear the Bible or read the Bible, we always read it in isolated pieces and isolated parts, like uh, individual pearls rolling around in a drawer in your bedroom somewhere instead of being threaded on a necklace as one beautiful whole piece uh, to be worn uh, 
Uh, Bible stories are sort of those individual pearls that are just wonderful stories, but we don't see how it all threads together in some kind of coherent way. And so we look for ways to see and hear that grand story, how it all fits and how it all uh, pieces together. And so uh, during the course of this sermon series, we'll try to be uh, always placing that story in the larger story and placing us in that story. And I'll be, uh, through the weeks that come, uh, letting you know of some other resources that are out there for you to read or to get online and check out that uh, you can do your own study. And by the way, on top of that, there is a, a great resource available called Twible. Uh, it's a cross between Twitter and Bible. Uh, someone has taken on the task of capturing every chapter in the Bible and summarizing it in 140 or less characters and in a, in a tweet. And some of you know what that is, and the rest of you are looking at each other and... Uh, see me after, actually see Melissa after church. Uh, she can explain it better. But it's, it's a tweet of 140 characters or less, each chapter of the Bible, and, that, and you, can, you can actually purchase that. It's called Twible, uh, a cross between Twitter and Bible. But if you want more traditional resources, we'll try to be telling you about those more traditional resources as well. I want to share with you, to begin with, a great quote by N.T. Wright. N.T. Wright uh, is a great uh, New Testament Bible scholar from Great Britain, and uh, I hope this uh, shows up okay on your screen. Uh, the Bible is a big book, he says, full of big stories with big characters. They have big ideas and make big mistakes. It's about God and greed and grace, about life, lust, laughter, and loneliness. It's about birth, beginnings, and betrayal about siblings, squabbles, and sex, about power and prayer and prison and passion, and that's only Genesis. That's just the start. And all of it's there in all of its beauty and all of its candor and all of its ugliness and all of its embarrassing truth. It's a great story, and Genesis is a great beginning. Several years ago, the New York Times... Uh, did this project. They asked famous American authors, famous authors, I don't know that they limit it to U.S. authors, to vote for the, their favorite opening lines of any book or any story. What are the most famous, the most riveting, the most gripping uh, opening words, opening lines to any book or any story, any novel? And uh, some of the eminent scholars of the day weighed in. Robert Ludlum chose the, a tale of two cities. It was the best of times. It was the worst of times. And then uh, Gloria Vanderbilt voted for a divine comedy. In the middle of the journey of my life, I came to myself in a dark forest. And Dante's divine comedy goes from there. And then uh, someone chose Melville's Moby Dick, Call Me Ishmael. What a great way to start a story. But it was actually Herman Woke who wrote Winds of War and other great war novels. It was Herman Woke who said that by far for him the most majestic, regal opening lines to any book ever written were the words, In the beginning God created the heavens and the earth. He said, those cannot be topped for beauty and majesty 
for power and impact and for the invitation to come a little closer and, and learn a little more. Genesis is a book of beginnings, as N.T. Wright says in this great quote. Uh, Genesis is a great story of beginnings, the beginning of life on earth, the beginning of earth, the beginning of relationships, the beginning of uh, worship of God, of running from God, of sin, of failure, the beginnings of uh, crime and violence, the beginning of family tension and, and family blessings, and, and all of those things, beginnings everywhere, all through Genesis. And by the way, baseball is the first book ever mentioned in the Bible. Did you know that? I read it just a moment ago. In the big inning, God created the heavens. Sorry, sorry. I just, I took that out two or three times and then I always put it back in. That's the way it goes. Well, it is a great story of great beginnings. And, and you, you noticed, and, and Brooke did a wonderful job of pointing this out to the children. It's amazing to me that God in creation did not have to grunt and strain and squint his eyes and flex his muscles to create everything that is. God didn't have to uh, uh, get some complicated mathematical formula out and try to figure out. He just spoke the cosmos into existence. Isn't that amazing? He is so powerful that he just said, let there be light and there's light. He says, let there be plants and there are plants. Let there be monkeys and there's monkeys. You know, let there be let there be whatever, and, and there it is. It, God speaks it into existence. And someone has said that, that simply says that when God got ready to do something, there was nothing standing in God's way to keep it from happening. And when I read those words in verse 30, and it was so, God speaks, and it's so, as he speaks humans into existence. Uh, it, I always think of uh, the Star Trek uh, my favorite sequence of Star Trek was the one with Jean-Luc Picard. And Captain Picard would say when he was ready to give a command, make it so. He has this beautiful baritone voice, make it so. And you can just hear God saying, make it so. And it happens. Or if you prefer a different image, God, the movie director, gets ready to do it all and God cries out, lights, camera, action. And the world comes into being. Powerful images of creation. Some of you are acquainted with the name Francis Collins. Francis Collins is an eminent scientist who has written a very uh, wonderful book entitled The Language of God. He is a person of faith, and he, he talks about how you can uh, understand and believe science and understand science and still be a faithful Christian. It's not a choice between either or. But... Francis Collins did not start out as a Christian. He was raised in a home uh, uh, of atheists, and he uh, grew up to be a card-carrying atheist at the beginning of his academic career. And somewhere along the way, he started reading C.S. Lewis, and he started uh, listening and thinking about why it's all here. And when he graduated from medical school, he was chosen to head up the Human Genome Project. And if you know anything about science, you know that the Human Genome Project uh, was the project to map our human DNA, those instructions inside our cells, inside of us that tell us, you know, blue eyes or uh, uh, green eyes or red hair or whatever. And, and, and somewhere along the way, he came to faith in Jesus Christ. And, 
and he shares his testimony beautifully, and he says that when he was in the midst of that genome project, when they finally arrived at the amazing conclusions about what's inside and what DNA is all about and the mapping of the human creation experience, he said it was not only a great scientific breakthrough for him professionally, but he said at a deeply personal and spiritual level, he said it was an amazing worship experience. He said, I sensed that for a moment I caught a glimpse, a tiny glimpse into the mind of God, into the mind of the Creator. And he said it was a moving worship experience. In the beginning, God created. Well, it helps me to know Uh, as I learned at seminary, that at the time when the Bible was being uh, written and collected, there were other creation accounts floating around in different cultures. In fact, the most famous one that still endures in print is the Enuma Elish from Babylonian culture from from ages ago, a region that would now be Iraq, the Enuma Elish. Now, The reason that's important is because that Enuma Elish creation narrative is very different than the Bible's testimony. In the Enuma Elish, the gods, small g-o-d-s, are very capricious, very temperamental. And the, the gods of that Babylonian account create humans almost as an afterthought. Almost as a, oh yes, and then there's the, and treats humans only as errand boys and errand girls, sort of as, as trash, as just good for uh, helping with menial and, and uh, really, really insignificant chores. By contrast, by contrast, the testimony of Scripture is that God creates human beings as the crowning of creation, not an afterthought. There is in our lives nobility. There is in our our lives dignity. God created us as crowning of creation. What's more, God didn't create us and then run away. God creates us for relationship. God longs to be in relationship with us. God longs to be in relationship with us in a love relationship and comes after us in a beautiful way. God longs to provide that whatever God creates, God sustains that God creates and sustains and longs to provide for us. And Brooke was right this morning. We are in a sanctuary filled with people who are experiencing beginnings. Um, Beginning school, beginning career, new job, beginning retirement, beginning a new relationship. And even if you're going through tragic endings, that also by definition means you're going through new beginnings, whether you want to or not. And so we're all going through various kinds of beginnings. And we need to know that the God who creates is the God who sustains and the God who provides for us in those beginnings that that God will never abandon us. And the reason I mention this is because the rest of Genesis gets very dark and bleak very fast. The first two chapters describe beautiful creation, and then chapter 3, there is rebellion and sin and failure and running from God and fallenness and tragedy as Adam and Eve make choices 
They choose not to trust this good, loving God, but to doubt His Word. And then in chapter 4, the, the first murder recorded in Scripture, and, and it's a tragedy not only because it's a murder, but because it's brother murdering brother. And it's a triple tragedy. It's not only murder, not only brother murdering brother, but it happens right after worship, right after church. They're arguing about worship style. They're arguing about which worship sacrifice was more acceptable to God. What a tragedy. And then the the whole Noah and the flood story about the evil spread all over the earth and, and God just almost has to start again with Noah and just a few to remind us well, here's the Bible in summary. If you, if you choose not to come to the rest of these sermons, here it is in three sentences, okay? And you can take the next few weeks off. Here it is. We are created with nobility. We are a mess. But God loves us so much, He fixes it. We are created with nobility and grandeur. But we are a mess, but God loves us so much, He fixes it. That's it. That's all the Bible. Genesis to Revelation. Now, is it just me, or does the world seem to be spinning out of control the last few weeks and months? I know we always say that, and it's always some crisis, but it just seems like the crises in Eastern Europe, the crises in the Middle East, the, the uh, firing up of violence and uh, insurgency in Iraq, the tragedy in Ferguson, Missouri, the, the, it seems that our, our culture is just a, a boiling cauldron of anxiety. There's just this anxiety that People don't know what to do with and the road rage and the, and the, the hate speech and on Facebook and people even want to argue about Robin Williams' suicide and, and, and make whatever about that. And it's just, it's craziness. And there, there seems to be on top of all of that this paradoxical thing that I pick up on among people that within, within all of us there is busyness with boredom. People are busier than ever, but more bored than ever. And people seem to be asking the question, where is it all going? What's it all for? What's the purpose? What does my life signify? Where is God in all of this? Parker Palmer is a Quaker who said that it doesn't matter whether you ask these questions in God language or whether you ask these questions in secular language. He said, here are the questions people are asking. Does my life matter? Whom and what may I trust? How can I rise above my fears? How can I deal with suffering? I'm going to read those to you again. Does my life matter? Whom and what may I trust? How do I rise above my fears? And how do I handle suffering? And it seems like with those 
key existential questions, we need to figure out where we fit in God's grand narrative. Where do we fit in God's master story? Where are we in what God has to say about creation? Well, if you're a follower of Jesus, we have a lot of help. Because in Ephesians chapter 1, verses 9 and 10, Paul says, He, God, set it all out before us in Christ, a long-range plan in which everything would be brought together and summed up in Him. Everything in deepest heaven and everything on planet earth. In Jesus Christ, God sums up His long-range plan. In Jesus Christ, God brings together His master plan. And it all fits together in heaven and on earth. Have you ever thought about how all through Scripture, creation language is used? John gets ready to write a gospel, the fourth gospel. And how does he begin? In the beginning. In the beginning was the Word. He's saying, God through Jesus Christ is out to make anew that which He originally created. God is out to fix it. God is out to heal that creation which He began in the first place, in the beginning. And then when Paul is straining to find words to describe the transforming power of Jesus Christ, when Paul is training to find words to describe the difference that Jesus can make in life, guess what he says in 2 Corinthians 5, 17. If anyone is in Christ, that person is a new creation. Old things are passed away. Behold, all things are become new. So here's what I want us to do. I want us to hear again those words in Genesis 1, 1 and 2. That formless void that was over the face of the deep, that desert wasteland. Imagine that that's our hearts, our lives. Emptiness, void, desert wasteland, formless glob. And the Spirit of God moves across our hearts and creates order out of disorder. And where there has been only death, through Jesus Christ, He breathes across that formless void of our lives and He brings life. Life indeed. And to quote Bible and Picard, make it so. Make it so. Let's pray.